Today, we continue ambling along the coastline with the master. Another Don the Beachcomber episode, you ask? My answer? Every turn of the page is a new adventure in that man's history. Think of all the abstract nuances in your own life. Stories only you know, ephemeral moments, and deep reflective emotions tied to each. We don't all get the luxury of having our lives documented. Don did, even if so scantily. We can never know of what truth a man keeps, but I venture a guess we all have the same unspoken rituals of our hearts. Through stories, pictures, and recipes, we get a glimpse into the dawn of Tiki. And there are seemingly always more stories to tell. As a rum runner throughout the Caribbean, then hopping freighters around the South Pacific, he literally cut his teeth on tropical food and drink. Then as a divorced World War II vet, he expatriated to Waikiki all while curating some of the best island escapist paradises the world has ever dug their toes into. Not to mention, oh yeah, he invented tiki. He lived the life, but also lived the dream. Don never stopped being his true beachcomber self, and always endeavored to give customers not just the best drinks and dining, but the best, if at times misadventurous, experiences. Take this story for example. With the tropical drink diaspora having followed Don across the Pacific, he knew the next endeavor had to be bigger than big. You've heard the saying, it takes a village? Well, that's exactly what Don built. In 1956, he opened the International Marketplace in Waikiki, a 4.5-acre Polynesian complex housing over 50 shops, nightclubs, and restaurants. Don himself operated three. The largest, Don the Beachcomber's Cabaret Restaurant, maintained the classic look and feel of Tiki. The second was the Colonel's Plantation Beefsteak House, although... That name may sound pleasantly suggestive to some of my gay friends. It was actuality a high-end steakhouse. Of course, done in the gratuitous style Don was known for. Diners would select their own cut of beef straight off a slab of meat, then ceremoniously pull their swords, or steak knives, from scabbards present, presented theatrically by a waiter. Yet, both of these restaurants pale in comparison to what may be the beachcomber's most scandalous scheme yet. Don's Treehouse. Imagine you're walking with your wahini. You've been shopping all morning, a, a tiresome task, but you're quite excited to see her in that new sheer sarong you bought. Ah, the benefits of banality. Perhaps the two of you have imbibed in a few tropical concoctions, and it's time for your dinner reservations. As you approach the base of a tree, you read, quote, Stairway to the world's most exclusive restaurant, created for those in love with love. Capacity, two. Unquote. High above, nestled amid the limbs of a great banyan tree, rests a bamboo shack containing one table. A dinner of roast squab with curried quail egg stuffing and champagne awaits upon arrival. The scented napkins are a nice touch. You lock yourselves in and remain undisturbed for the entire evening. Hear the night going on down below. Crack the louvered windows to gaze down, knowing no one can see up into your private dining experience. 
The hut features a daybed covered in pillows, record player, a set of skimpy his and hers Polynesian wraps, in case you want to change into something more comfortable. All this for the paltry sum of thirty-seven fifty in 1960s dollars. But to borrow a quote from Beach Bum Berry, quote, the after-dinner entertainment was up to you. I just hope Don sprung for a good cleaning crew. You know, in case you spill your curried quail eggs all over the place. Also, no mention of a bathroom up there. That could be a total mood kill. Anyway, if you're thinking that setup may have offended some delicate sensibilities of post-war Americana, you'd be right. Years of catering to the Hollywood elite had taught Don how to coyly redirect the haters, knowing all the while for every Puritan there's a dozen misfits on the waiting list. Don Beach always stayed a totem ahead of his competition, despite many imitators. He managed this because there they were mostly businessmen, while Don embraced his role. He lived the romance of the beachcomber life. Besides, by all accounts being a genuinely nice guy, Don was the consummate host. Entrepreneurial, yes. Inventive, yes. But never wavering from what made him unique. While Don busied himself turning stones in search of tiki, his competition only concerned themselves with turning profits. He did have a real reason to fear copycats, though. See, they had zero shame in blatantly ripping him off. At least the Seacomer restaurant changed a word, but Monte Proser's Beachcomber not only stole Don's name, but claimed to have invented the zombie. Many, many trop joints had a zombie on the menu, but no one ever managed to duplicate the original recipe. Even Trader Vic eventually capitulated, grousing that it wasn't that good of a drink anyway. Hundreds of thousands of soulless sippers over the years begged to differ. Best case, the obligatory undead doppelgangers gave a bar credence. No self-respecting establishment exotica would be caught dead without a zombie on the menu. Pun intended. Worst case would be the racially untenable depictions of Afro-tribal people portrayed on zombie advertisements. As another testament to his dignity, at least in the many old menus I've seen, Don the Beachcomber never employed such untoward stereotypes. But alas... There is an updated zombie episode in the works, so we're going to leave that right there for now. Don created a treasure, and everyone was trying to find the X that marked success. How did they do this? Gathering artifacts was costly but doable, and what couldn't be found could be made by some of the most elite tiki artists, carvers, and sculptures ever, like the famous Mick Brownlee. What was not so easy to duplicate were the drinks. Sure, a skilled bartender familiar with tropical drink could imitate, possibly even concoct a few originals that were pretty dang good. But the only way to get real Don the Beachcomber drinks was to poach real Don the Beachcomber employees. Despite Don being the cane sugar of the earth, for the struggling Southeast Asian immigrants he employed, loyalty often followed a dollar sign. In no way at all am I denigrating immigrants. Your humble host himself is but third-generation Italian-American. But we're talking about young men and women who fought in guerrilla militias, militias during World War II as teenagers, literally going from shotguns to shakers trying to make a better life for themselves and their families. And the sharks looking for Don's recipes paid big money to anyone willing to defect. 
Personally, I highly regard loyalty, but in order to have the American dream, one must be able to sleep peacefully. Don combated this in one of the most convoluted but effective ways ever. He created codes for his ingredients. The rums were pretty widely known, but syrups, mixes, combos of bitters and liqueurs, all sequenced in a series of codified legends that very few trusted associates had the key to. The bartenders didn't know what they were pouring. And guess what? It worked. It has literally taken Jeff Beachbumberry decades to decode the mysteries of these recipes. In this episode, we're going to follow the journey of tiki drink archaeologist Jeff Berry in uncovering the code to one of Don's most essential drinks. Though seven ingredients, or through seven ingredients, two names, and one outstanding libation, today we uncover the secrets of the Nui Nui. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Tony, and this is Pod Tiki. What made these drinks so great that everyone wanted to copy them anyway? Let's do a brief recap of Don the Beachcomber's mixology style. Although most industry folks I know hate that term, preferring bartender over the more sanctimonious mixologist. But in the case of Don Beach, he truly was a drink artist, conducting his rum rhapsodies like melodious symphonies. When Don opened the first tiki bar, he had plenty of exotic artifacts and tropical detritus, as well as a first-rate education in traditional potions of the Caribbean, daiquiris, punches, and such. But those weren't very exotic. People had been fleeing to Cuba and Jamaica for years to escape prohibition. The South Pacific, on the other hand, didn't have any drinks with tourist appeal. Unless you're into drinking chewed-up kava leaves fermented in tribal saliva. I mean, you don't get more local than that. See our Royal Hawaiian episode for a deeper dive into that. Don used the knowledge of rum he garnered from bouncing around the Caribbean, paired with a love of Polynesia, and decided to break all the rules. I imagine him like the Sherlock Holmes of rum genuity. Dark Jamaican rum, Barbados, Demerara, half ounce simple syrup, becomes quarter ounce cinnamon, one eighth honey, one eighth vanilla, cardamom, nutmeg, full size lime juice, that's absurd. Cut lime in half, half grapefruit, orange, mango, grenadine, blend bitters with herb saint for alertum, three quarter ounce, doesn't work, half ounce shake, stir, blend, swizzle, mint, fruit, fire, serve. In actuality, the recipes were the carefully thought-out results of much trial and error. His idea was to break traditional recipes down and split the amounts per ingredient into different flavors. Half ounce of sugar syrup now became quarter ounce of grenadine and quarter ounce of cinnamon syrup. He did this with all kinds of flavors and profiles, but his true genius came in blending different rums from different regions, creating new tertiary flavors. These proprietary palates were the reason Don the beachcomber drinks were unlike anything anyone had ever tasted. In this sense, the drinks were truly exotic by definition. No foe about it. So many beachcomber recipes began with, begin with Dick Santiago, one of Don's earliest bartenders and maitre d'. Jeff Berry toiled for years trying to deconstruct and reverse engineer traditional tiki drinks till he hit a dead end on the road to Hana. Until Dick Santiago's daughter found one of his old work shirt pockets, a perfectly preserved, typed-out notebook of recipes. The Holy Grail was actually a tiki mug. Only problem was, about half of the recipe of any given drink was in code. 
At this juncture of our story, I'm inclined to pause and let you know I will be relaying I will be relaying an abbreviated version of the Nui Nui origin. The translating of Don's code makes up a good portion of Barry's book Sip and Safari. Notwithstanding that I always cite my sources and I have an immense amount of respect for Jeff, I do not believe in plagiarizing the research he spent decades doing. Please go and purchase Jeff Barry Jeff Beachbum Barry's books to learn the whole fascinating story behind this saga. Okay, moving on. I'm going to give you the abbreviated version. An original Nui Nui recipe from Dick's Notebook was actually for a drink called the Poupoulet. I imagine they changed the name after realizing no one could order one without snickering. The ingredient list for that is below. And you should see the problem here. Three ounces of gold St. Croix rum, one half ounce of lime juice, one half ounce of orange juice, quarter ounce Don's Spices number two, quarter ounce Don's Spices number four, two dashes of Don's number eight. Yep, not much of a recipe. And even this was after a few wrong deciphers. It was though the family of or it was through the family of Hank Riddle that Jeff was able to figure out Don's Dash's number eight as Angostura Bitters, but it wasn't until meeting an eighty year old retired bartender, Bob Esmano, that Jeff uncovered Don's spices. Sorta. Number four was Don's code for cinnamon syrup, but number two Bob told Barry to just sub-spiced rum for the St. Croix. Now, to Jeff's credit, he didn't spend all this time and energy to simply pour some Captain Morgans in there and call it a day. So he purchased all kinds of spiced rums and began deconstructing the flavor notes, eventually narrowing the profile down to cinnamon, vanilla, and allspice. Since the Nui Nui already utilized a cinnamon syrup, he concluded that Don Spice's number two was a mix of vanilla syrup and allspice liqueur two ingredients indicative of the Caribbean and often used in tropical punches. There is a more in-depth version of the story that I will urge you to read in Jeff Beachbomberry's books, Sip and Safari, and Potions of the Caribbean. But now, finally, we have the real, original, mid-1930s recipe to Don the Beachcomber's Nui Nui. Two ounces gold Virgin Islands rum, half ounce lime juice, half ounce orange juice, Quarter ounce cinnamon syrup, quarter ounce Don Spices number two, which is a one-to-one blend of vanilla syrup and pimento dram, one dash of Angostura bitters, four ounces of crushed ice. Blend all the ingredients on high for five seconds, pour into a 10-ounce Collins glass or tiki mug, and add, add cubed ice to fill if necessary. And garnish with a thick-cut piece of orange peel draped over the glass. Let's begin with the star of the show. Gold Virgin Islands Rum. This is a category that doesn't get much recognition nowadays. This kind of, I mean, this is kind of my whole shtick, right? Trying to prove to the rum snobs out there that just because something isn't super premium and costs as much as my power bill doesn't mean it's not delicious. Don't forget, Budweiser is a premium American lager. It only seems inferior to us because it's ubiquitous and familiar. Americans would much rather drink a triple IPA that tastes like fermented Brussels sprouts dripped in piss. Are rums better now than back in Don's day? That's debatable, but the introduction of ultra-premiums has diminished the integrity of quality spirits at an affordable price. Just remember that name brand and store brand are usually made in the same factory. All that to say, 
The go-to Virgin Islands rum for both myself and Jeff Berry is Cruzan from St. Croix. St. Croix is actually the delineation made by Dick Santiago in his notes. Cruzan is a fine rum, with notes of banana, vanilla, and dried tropical fruit. But for all my soapboxing, I'm not going to sit here and tell you there's no notable difference in a refined product. Just because I like chilies doesn't mean I can't appreciate the nuance of a Wagyu filet from Cane Prime. I tried this recipe with standard Cruzan Dark aged 2-5 to five years, which leads me to believe they use a Solera method. It was quite good, but lacked depth and was a bit fruit forward. But then, I mixed it with Cruzan Single Barrel 5-year aged rum. Well, it nearly blew my grass skirt off. I was like, Marilyn Mahalo. Now, this rum bolsters the creamy butterscotch and vanilla flavors, or it bolsters the creamy butterscotch and vanilla flavors so much it's like a whole different product. I'm telling you guys, in this epoch of inflation we find ourselves in, take that cheap beginner brand spirit you thought was below your evolved palate and try their next step up. You will be pleasantly surprised how good a Cruzan, Bacardi, Don Q, Jack Daniels, or Maker's Mark can be once you disavow pretense. So... Needless to say, I went with the Cruzan single barrel. It runs about $30 a bottle. Moving on, we come to the cinnamon syrup. There are a ton of companies now offering quality syrups that are good or, as good or better than what you can do at home, especially when you factor in time and money. Lieber, small hand foods, and even some that can be found in stores. I tend to stay away from high fructose corn syrup, so I seek out the specialty brands or make my own. For this episode, I was kind of pressed for time, and with the holidays coming, it was worth it to save a little scuttle on the side, you know? Plus, I never tried my own cinnamon syrup. It's super easy. Make a normal simple syrup. I do half a cup sugar to half a cup water. While you wait for that to boil, you crush up three cinnamon sticks and add to the pot. Once it boils, you lower the heat and simmer for about two minutes. Then remove from the heat, cover, and let steep for two hours. The same goes for vanilla syrup. Normally I would buy this, but... Um, because skinning and crushing vanilla beans sounds like a pain in the ass. But Shannon Mustafa in her book Tiki Modern Tropical Cocktails offers a simplified recipe using vanilla extract. Half a cup of water, half a cup demerara or turbinado cane sugar, and a tablespoon of pure vanilla extract. Bring to a boil, then turn heat off and continue stirring for a few minutes until it cools. Uh, for Allspice Dram, I use the popular St. Elizabeth brand, and then for Don's Mix, you just put one part each of vanilla syrup and allspice, and then just stir that together, and that'll be your Don's Mixes number two, or your Don's Spices number two. Uh, lime juice, orange juice, and Angostura bitters should be pretty self-explanatory. Just make sure you always squeeze your citrus fresh, and uh, Angostura bitters can be found at any liquor store. Wait, what's that? Oh, oh, you thought I forgot. Well, let's make a drink. Close your eyes and put yourself back in that treehouse for two. Dinner is done, the champagne is gone, and entertainment has been provided. <clears throat> you make your way down, avoiding eye contact with people as you tuck your shirt in. It's time to make your way back to the bar at Don the Beachcombers. The libation of choice, Nui Nui. A bright orange hue glows in the glass like autumn leaves in the sun, while a pillow of light shimmering bubbles sets atop, accentuated by an orange peel curled over the lip. Nui Nui looks unassuming beside ice volcanoes and flaming zombies. You take a sip. Vanilla and cinnamon accentuate those notes in the Cruzan single barrel. 
A caramel butterscotch creaminess overlays a base of tropical fruit. The pimento dram mixed with lime and orange actually tricked the palate into tasting... What is it? Apricot. Yes, the Nui Nui is laying down heavy dried apricot vibes. It could be the eyes informing the tongue, but the oils from the orange peel garnish not only tickle the nose with pleasant scent, but add a tinge of citrus to the flavor. What the Nui Nui lacks in flamboyance, it more than makes up for in flavor. It's, and it's unique in another way. Unlike other Don Beach drinks, it's more tropical party than sensually exotic. Still layered and balanced, just a little more fun, like a grown-up high C. The creamy richness of the rum makes it like, like an apricot creamsicle. The Nui Nui is a wonderful example of Tropiki. If you're wondering about tropi- Tropiki, please read my article in issue 17 of Exotica Modern. It fills the ephemeral space the drink does between deep, smoky Exotica and fun, fruity island vacation. A wonderful drink and truly a new favorite of mine. I know I say that all the time, but I really do enjoy these tropical, easy-drinking cocktails. The way St. Croix rum adds a creaminess to sweet fruit notes really is exciting. Over decades of research and resurgence, Jeff Berry has solved one of Don the Beachcomber's puzzles. But is coding a good idea? A brilliant idea to stop recipes from getting out. But devil's advocate... Now there are copycats out there denigrating the integrity of the drinks. Even in good faith, trying to deconstruct a Don Beach creation is nearly impossible. His components were never used in those ways before. There was no precedent to use as a map. Those of a more duplicitous nature didn't even try, mixing inferior fruit juices with unproportionate amounts of rum and covering it all up with tons of sugar. Those in the know knew where to get the real. But every Don, Vic, and Harry across the land serving untenable tropicals is what led to our beloved Tiki becoming a sacrinated shell of its former self. Someone should have told those knockoffs to friggin' knock it off. Pardon my French Polynesian. But what's the alternative? They had already pilfered his name, his theme, in some cases improving on it. So what's a Don to do? Hand over all the secrets? He had to protect his intellectual property, and in hindsight, it worked. So few people were privy to the recipes that it's taken Barry decades to decode the proper ingredient combinations. Trader Vic came closest, but only because he went to the same place as Don did and studied under the masters. The system worked until people stopped caring about getting lesser quality drinks. It's akin to how being seen sitting at a cafe along A1A in South Beach used to be exclusive. Now the sidewalk is littered with restaurants offering outdoor seating, each undistinguishable from the next filled with tourists thinking they're just like Will Smith. Pre-slap, of course. It's the difference between sipping a margarita from a roadside cantina in Mexico or getting off the cruise ship and going to Senior Frogs. In the end, the recipes and legacies have lived on. Not just to tiki historians, or podcasts, or books. Not just thanks thanks to artists and bartenders creating the ambiance. No, The heart of culture beats every time one of us true, unapologetic tiki fans buttons up our Hawaiian shirt, finds a dimly lit chair under a glass buoy, and allows ourselves an escape to Exotica atop a wave of tropical libation. Make mine a nui nui, Don. Salud and keepy tiki.
Sources for this episode can be found under the blog post for the Nui Nui at politiki.com. I urge you guys all to check out our social media. Instagram is where you're going to find my most uh, up-to-date posts. That's pod underscore tiki. And then if you want to follow my personal account at rum underscore poet. I urge you all to go check out our YouTube channel where I'm posting special inside the mug editions of these episodes where I talk behind the scenes about the drink and stuff that didn't fit into the episode. And I also do the how to make series on there where I show you how to make the drink. Um, I really would like to start going live on there. I need a few more subscribers. So jump on and we hopefully there'll be more exciting things happening in the future with that. Another thing I want to ask you guys to do is jump on over to our friends at SurfSideSips.com. All your tiki straws, custom work, the holidays are coming. I think you might still have some time in to grab some straws for that tiki lover in your life. Make sure when you do, you enter Pod Tiki at checkout. That's capital P-O-D-T-I-K-I at checkout. You're going to get 20% off your order, and I'm going to get a little something-something on the back end. Last but certainly not least, I want to thank all the new subscribers and... I would like to think, well, you know what? That wasn't last, because last but definitely not least is the main thing I want to thank you all for, and that is the support that I've gotten from Exotica Modern, the from House of Taboo. They produced the Exotica Modern magazine, which published uh, one of my articles called Tropiki in the last episode. I'm sorry, in the last issue, it was issue number 17. It th- I believe it's still available to order from houseoftaboo.com. Um... Yeah, it's a great magazine. I love the music reviews, and I would love to hear what y'all think about my article. So please go in there and check it out. Um, I noticed I've gotten a lot of new subscribe, a lot of new followers. So I hope that you guys are uh, enjoying the content so far. I feel free to please interact. I love hearing from everybody. I love hearing your thoughts. I love hearing what you think about the shows. Anything that you think I might approve on, please don't be too mean. I'm a very sensitive soul, but I can take it. Come on. I'm a writer. You know, I've gotten more rejects than uh, than, than than Don Beach has has rums in his in his bar. So, on that note, I want to once again thank you. Please tiki responsibly, and I will see you guys on the YouTube channel next. And uh, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>